Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here at Liberty River Wards, as we transition from some sermons in Genesis into a mini-sermon series, as I understand it from Stephen Wood, about the mission of the church here in August, we are coming at you from the Great Commission, the end of Matthew's Gospel, one of the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life. And here, this morning, we are going to talk about what's been called evangelism. What comes to your mind? What connotations does it have to you, whether you're here this morning in the room as a follower of Jesus or a skeptical of spiritual realities or somewhere in between? Your heart of hearts, evangelism. What do you feel? Probably in this cultural moment has some fairly negative connotations to a lot of people, and uh, the reasoning goes a little bit like this. If you're a religious person, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, it's okay to believe that for yourself. You know the standard story, but please keep it to yourself. And if you start telling other people about it, then we're getting into uh, another negative word when it comes to evangelism, which is why, by the way, I prefer Christian witness. It's less baggage attached. But the idea goes, oh, that's proselytizing. And we just shouldn't do proselytizing in today's culture. It sounds pushy, hurtful, hateful speech that is incompatible proselytizing with pluralism. Those two things don't mix. And if that's where you are in thinking about some of these things, I totally get it. I really do. But let me give you an alternative perspective. When I was in college, this was a couple of years ago now, I, I did not come to college as a person of faith. I wasn't a Christian. But I was open to spiritual realities. And so I spent a fair amount of time exploring different faith traditions, Christianity, Eastern religions, other worldviews and philosophies. And I had a friend at the time who was a dialogue partner as I'd go to these different things and debrief. She was Emily, who's now my wife. She was a committed Christian, but interested to hear from me about all of my awesome thoughts about world religions. And so there I was one day at kind of a, for lack of a better term, new agey sort of spiritual group. It was a lot of candles and potpourri and Kenny G, so that sort of sets the scene for you a little bit. I thought it was great. I really liked it, and I was excited to go back to the college cafe and debrief with Emily. She was like, how was it? I said, it's really great. I explained we just kind of sat around. I was told how great I was and how if I just love myself more, I'll have more peace and tranquility in my life, and the candles were great. And then Emily came back to me and said, that's interesting. When you were at this group, and I had gone to it a couple of times at this point, what are you supposed to do? I was like, what do you mean? Like, what, what activities, how are you pushed? How are you challenged? How are you made to grow? What do they ask you to do? I was like, nothing. That's not the point. 
being pushed to do stuff, especially when it comes to religious realities, makes me uncomfortable. And the purpose of spirituality for me is to make me comfortable. And yeah, so that's, I, I don't want any of that push or challenge at all. But then, more conversations with Emily over a period of time, I began to realize that I had it pretty much exactly backwards. And I learned from her. When it comes to a religion or a spirituality or a worldview, way of thinking about life, the universe, and everything, if it matters, if it's real, if it's true, it calls you to do stuff. And if it doesn't push you, should it bring us peace? Yes. Should it bring us some tranquility? Yes. But should it leave us where we already are? Absolutely not. And if whatever worldview you're following is just relax, you're awesome, you don't have to change anything, that's the sort of thinking or worldview that maybe you shouldn't take super seriously. And so for followers of Jesus, there is mission, there's push, there's call to show up, to serve, to act, and yes, also to speak. But here's one of the dirty little secrets, too. It's not just non-Christians, people that aren't followers of Jesus, that are a little bit uncomfortable with Christian witness or needing to talk to our friends and neighbors about it. It's I also. It's those inside the room. It's really, really hard. We're afraid to do it. And I was talking to an old head recently, for example, and he said, back in my day, we were bold when it came to evangelism. We were brash when it came to outreach. And people of your younger generation, you're, you're so scared when it comes to those things. I said two things. Number one, thank you for considering me as a part of a younger generation. I'll take that. You're, you're my, my new best friend. Let's go catch a talkie together or something. It's going to be great. But then I also said, both things can be true. Should I, should we, and those younger than I that follow Jesus, become more bold and more brash for the cause of Christ? Probably so. But then I added, it was really easier back then. Mid-20th century, late 20th century, and not every place in our country was like this, or different pockets, of course. But by and large, being a part of a church and a follower of Jesus enabled you to gain some social capital. The opposite is true today. So I pushed back a little bit and said, in some ways, it is actually harder now. Give us a little bit of a break. But we're still unsure how to do it. And at Liberty Collingswood, maybe at Liberty Riverwards also, I get the sense that, at least for me, I'll put it in these terms. I've told people at our church, hey, we've got to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus do evangelism, do Christian witness, but I haven't really equipped my people that well to do it. And that's on me. A little bit like, I feel like I've been telling people to go fish, but haven't really given my folks any stuff you fish with, like string. But we're trying to address that. So we've identified at Liberty Collingswood, we're relaunching after pandemic. We were shaken up in so many different ways. 
We're calling it the Represence Initiative on the other side of the river. One of our practices of presence that we're trying to mold our people into is Christian witness, is evangelism. Likewise, here at Liberty River Wards, we'll be doing mission here in August so that we can grow. And what a text to talk about these things. Here, the Great Commission, as it's been called at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 28. And if you've been in churches a little while, maybe you've heard before, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But here's a tiny sliver of my journey with the Great Commission. About a year ago, I realized that there was a recent addition to this paragraph that must have only been added a couple years ago because I never saw it before. It's verse 17. So before Jesus gives that great commission, Matthew, the author of this account, says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's the part that only struck me recently. But some doubted. Think about that. A climactic moment. Therefore, go. Chances are less than 50-50 that Jesus spoke in like an old English accent there. But therefore, go. This is a big deal. We're going to do this. But some doubted, even then. And so it included to the doubting disciples that Jesus gave this great commission which tells me even doubters and should we be convicted of the truth and reality of the Christian gospel of course we should but also do even some of the strongest most seasoned Christians have doubts sometimes of course we do but I have my wires crossed if I think to myself I'm only ever gonna start to do a little bit of Christian witness when I have zero doubts all the time. Even with my faltering faith and yours, we're called to push ahead in mission, in witness, which is what we're going to weigh here this morning. There is no other way to be with Jesus than the way that includes this one. So two parts from here talking about Christian witness or evangelism. We're going to talk about what Jesus gives and then what Jesus commands. What Jesus gives, what Jesus commands. And in Matthew's Gospel, what Jesus gives, another mountain, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Mountains, kind of a big deal in Matthew's Gospel. It's only in this Gospel where we have what's been called by the church the Sermon on the Mountain. It's on a mountain. The transfiguration, where Jesus reveals his heavenly glory to a handful of disciples, occurred on a mountain. The Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus struggled with the call of the cross right before he was arrested and killed. That's on the Mount of Olives. Big things happen on mountains, including here. And there's not just a command. There's not just a commission here given to the disciples. But Jesus gives some context around it, too, including, as Jesus tells us to go, he gives us his authority, his presence, and his grace, his authority. You see, the first indicative of Jesus' speech here before the imperative of the command, therefore go, 
all authority, verse 18, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We can think of it this way. Christian witness really is just, for you and me, being transparent about the reality that Jesus really is king. Is Jesus your king or not? And if he is, we witness. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary from England, missionary to India for a large part of his life in the mid-20th century. He came back and wrote books about the changing context of mission here in the West. And he put it this way, thinking about missionary movements over different periods of time. And the Christian missionary movement had already begun to decline in the mid to late 20th century. He wrote this, Whatever may or may not have been the sins of our missionary predecessors, the commission to disciple all the nations stands at the center of the church's mandate, and a church that forgets this or marginalizes it forfeits the right to the titles Catholic and Apostolic. The contemporary embarrassment about previous missionary movements, so even in Newbegin's context, people were saying, Christian mission stuff going around the world, spending a ton of money, doing a lot of hard things, to tell people of different cultures that are very different than ours about Jesus. Is that even good? Is that right? It's a little embarrassing. That embarrassment is not, as we like to think, evidence that we have become more humble. It is, I fear, much more clearly evidence of a shift in belief. It is evidence that we are less ready to affirm the uniqueness, the centrality, the decisiveness of Jesus Christ as universal Savior and Lord, the way by following whom the world is to find its true goal, the truth by which every other claim to truth is to be tested, the life in whom alone life in its fullness is to be found. So as I struggle with the call to witness, I need to realize that beneath the witness question for me and for us is an authority question. And I get it, I realize, I really do, that this is out of step with where we are. And Christianity is weird. We have a set of Christian ethics that looks weird. And across the board, all sorts of authority structures, they're, they're in doubt and they're held suspect. So this is a difficult time to do Christian witness. And there's that idea again, ah, uh, it sounds like you're proselytizing. We can't do that in a pluralistic culture anymore. But we can double click. Proselytizing, or better, Christian witness. Whoever is proselytizing, it doesn't even have to be about Christianity. All that is, is you're trying to persuade other people about what you consider to be true and ultimate concerning reality. Everybody proselytizes all the time. Isn't that true? We live in such a proselytizing culture right now. We do it all over the place. And so, it's not should we or shouldn't we, because everybody's doing it, if we're honest, and it's okay for us to name that blind spot a little bit. It's, well, what do you want to talk about? Because we all have opinions, we all have views. Let's bring them to the table and the question is, if not this authority, what authority? And in my conversations with skeptical friends and neighbors, sometimes I'll get, uh, you, you believe in the Bible as an authority? A true revelation from God about Jesus' saving plan. This is how God's revealed himself in the world. Centering on Jesus, and we access Jesus now by scripture and spirit, primarily. 
2,000-year-old book? You're, you're treating that as your authority? And I kind of come back and say, well, it's better than Fox News <laughs> or CNN or the celebrity influencer that you have and, or your Twitter feed. Can we have a conversation about that? I'm not being dismissive of how people comport themselves in relation to these other things, but I'm just saying it's not obvious to say that the Christian witness should be thrown out the window. And I'll come back and say, for example, what I'm hearing from you right now has been believed by an exceedingly small amount of people for the first time in the history of the world about human beings right now. Are we sure this is true? On the other hand, yes, the Bible is a 2,000-year-old-plus book, but to me, that has a staying power, right? And it's been trusted by 2 billion people-plus in cultures radically different from one another throughout the ages, where in every culture that Christianity has come in contact with, it has affirmed some things and pushed back on other things, and it's been proved to be reliable by so many people, even at the cost of their lives. Are we sure this is automatically a bad idea? And more than that, here's something that Christians can do that are a little bit different. We can and we should disagree without disengaging. That's a Jesus-following thing to do, which at this moment is a little bit countercultural, right? It's so much easier, a fight-or-flight mentality. Hey, if you disagree with me, we, we can't be friends anymore. If we're not aligned with one another, if we don't check all the right boxes, I'm actually uncomfortable to be in your presence. And more than that, I'm uncomfortable if others of my friends with whom I'm deeply aligned would know that we actually have a relationship going right now because it's so out of step. So I'm just going to have to disengage. Nothing personal, even though it's entirely personal. But this is what Christians can do. Hey, we're not on the same page, but I still want to be your friend. I still want to serve you. I still want to hear you. I still want to see you. I still want to be in relationship with you. And I wonder if one of the calls of the church in this age moving forward is simply to stay say, I'm not flaming you. We're still going to be here in relationship with one another. And understand, too, if you balk at this idea of Jesus' authority a little bit, which I understand, we might look in the mirror and say, hey, wait a second, if, if I don't want to have any authority over me, I would say there's at least a chance that you're already a person of some power and privilege and security already. You have enough going for you that you're able to say, hey, I'm my own king, I'm my own queen. I can do it myself. But the witness of Christian history is, let me tell you, if you're somebody who's marginalized or oppressed or down and out without social capital, struggling, the authority of Jesus is not an oppressive reality but a freeing one. The authority of Jesus is not something that disempowers you. It is deeply empowering. So we can look in the mirror. Jesus' authority, 
And then also Jesus gives us his presence. Again, if you struggle with the authority piece, Jesus' authority over us is not a bare or distant authority. Because the last statement in this passage, the last statement of Matthew's gospel, is another indicative. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, it said at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Are you lonely? And statistically speaking, the answer, and I know a number of you in this room, I don't know all of you. Statistically speaking, not about the people, but about the stats, you're probably lonely. Because everybody in America is lonely. On offer to us from the authoritative Jesus is also a present Jesus who is near to the brokenhearted and the contrite in spirit, which we can fold into our Christian witness. Hope for those that are lonely. And then also Jesus' grace. He gives us grace. Remember that verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That is astounding to me. It could have gone another way at this point. Remember Mel Brooks playing Moses? These are the 15 commandments, but then he drops the tablet. These 10 commandments I now give to you. 11 disciples, some doubted. Jesus could have said, my 11 best friends, go there. Hold on a second. Calls down some lightning on the doubters. You're not going to rain on my parade. And then he goes on to my seven best friends. Therefore, go. No. Even to those that are faltering in their faith, Jesus says, you're with me. And I am pleased and delighted to be with you. That dynamic is undergirded by the very blood of the living Lord. That's why he died on the cross and rose again. To the forgiveness of our sins, our faults, our waverings, all of it. Bring the penalty for sin on me. Let the just wrath of God come upon me so that you don't have to taste a drop of it since I have drank this cup all the way down to its dregs so that we can be free. Jesus gives us that kind of durable grace. And then as we worship this Jesus for his grace, for his authority, for his presence, we're called to go. So that's what Jesus gives, what Jesus commands. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations. Do it. Get out there. Have some fun. Serve in my name. Tell people about me. Would have been great if Jesus had said at this moment, therefore go, live, speak, and serve as a presence of me. That's our mission statement here at the Liberty Community of Churches. Not originally in the Bible, but I think it captures so much. I love this mission. That's why I moved back here to plant Liberty Collingswood, to be a part of this movement. Go. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Baptizing. That's the initiation for people of the Christian journey, whether as an infant or a kid or an adult when you're baptized. From initiation to continuation. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. As you live a life of discipleship, being a learner from Jesus, being molded by him, therefore go out and do it. And be encouraged. It's happening. It happens in our midst. 
whether Liberty Collingswood or so many of the stories that I know from Liberty River wards, throughout our communion, people have met Jesus through the mission of the Liberty Communion of Churches. And every story is beautiful. Every story is beautiful. And let's keep that story going. Maybe a little bit harder than it used to be, but it's not impossible. And we have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. And so as we go, don't be arrogant, don't be intimidated. Don't be arrogant. As was said multiple times in the service so far, we're not better than anybody. And here's a corollary, in case it's not clear, of Jesus being the authority. By that same token, do you know who's not the authority? This guy, or you, because Jesus is. Jesus frees us and calls us away from any hint of arrogance because the cross says we're really messed up. But then also don't be intimidated. You don't need to be intimidated because Jesus is with you. Now, if I think about the mid to late 20th century here in the West, maybe Christian witness in those moments was a little bit easier. Not super easy still, but do you know when it wasn't easy? When Jesus told these 11 bozos, therefore go. Even if you're not one of the doubters, hardcore among these 11, just imagine what a staggering command this is. Therefore go not just to Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go everywhere. Tell them about me. Make disciples of all nations. I'd be looking around saying, me and these 10 other losers? <laughs> is this really going to work? Is, is this the big idea? Surely there's got to be a better way. And witness for centuries, and to this day around the world, occurs at great cost. So it's not the whole story just to say, well, it was easier then. St. Augustine, fourth century church leader, writer, put it this way about this passage. What do we see which the disciples saw not? The church throughout all the nations. What do we not see which these saw? Christ present in the flesh. Let what we have respectively seen help us. The sight of Christ helped the first disciples to believe the future church. The sight of the church helps us to believe that Christ is risen. So what do they have that we don't have? Actually seeing Jesus in the flesh. That must have been a pretty great encouragement. But what don't those 11 see in these moments? Billions and billions serve. The church throughout generations, all around the world. Go therefore. And I believe to the depths of my soul, that witnessing for Jesus is true, it's beautiful, and it's good. It's true, because what's real is best. Here's a recipe for not great Bob, where there's this dynamic right now that the farther away, the more distant you are from somebody, the more typical and easier it is for you to flame them and give very, very strong opinions about ultimate realities, whether social media or otherwise. But the more intimate we are with people, as we move from online to face-to-face, -face, the less willing we are to talk about the deep things that we believe. I have a bad feeling about that. Shouldn't it kind of be flipped? 
where somebody across the world, I don't need to get after them right now, but for my loved ones, for my friends and neighbors. Let's not just talk about the Phillies, although it sounds great to go to a Phillies game together, beat the Pirates last night. Huge Phillies fan, that's why I think they're a bunch of bums. Let's not just talk about the Phillies. Let's talk about what's real and what's true. And it's also beautiful. It's also beautiful. Consider this. The Church of Jesus Christ around the world and throughout the ages was the original and to me the best expression of a truly multi-ethnic, multinational collection of people, organism in the history of the world. And really, nothing else comes close. And in this era of polarization, this is one of the reasons, by the way, why people in the East and South don't like the West too much, because their children are looking like our children. Their teenagers are looking like our teenagers. Just for example, there's an absolutizing everywhere. But even within Philadelphia, as you go to churches of different ethnic expressions, Jesus is going to be worshipped. The Bible's going to be read, but it's going to look really different. And churches in Africa or the Far East look very African or very Far Eastern. There's beauty there. And for the Liberty Communion of Churches, should we grow and push to become more diverse ourselves? Of course we should. While at the same time we celebrate, whether across ethnic divides or otherwise, at all of our churches, aren't you able to say that you are friends with people that you would never be friends with apart from the church. You are in deep communion relationship. You share a cup, one Savior, one Lord, one baptism, with people that, in your heart of hearts, you wouldn't want to be friends with. When they posted that, or they believed this, but we're all under Jesus. And those are the relationships in our churches that, to me, are the most precious. And so we do Christian witness for the sake of more of those relationships. And it's good. People need this. People need this. Jesus, crucified and resurrected, coming to him in faith, forgiveness, eternal life, change, and hope. It's good for people. It's good for people. And this is where we'll wrap up, on that note of hope. As we press into the extremes of hardcore secular right and hardcore secular left, the receipts are coming in, they're piling up. If you drill down in either of those directions, is it going to make you a more whole and peaceful person? No. The more you double down in either of those directions, you're going to be more fragile more agitated, more angsty, more angry, more anxious. By design, I believe. Christian story, on the other hand. By grace, King Jesus is taking a world that is messed up, and it's going to be made whole. Jesus of Nazareth is good, and he says, go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.